0: Okay, let's uh, let's get on with I was just about to say, let's pray for Barbara. And she's here, lover. Her. Treasure. Hooray. So we're going to do it anyway. So uh, go on, let's pray for Barbara. Barbara's done very well, but she yeah. had a, a leg issue from years ago that was just not very nice when it all... Uh, flares up, but we're believing for, for goodness. One of the things that um, kept going around in my mind one night in um, it's, in uh, Salt Lake was, you know, and David wrote in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And uh, I was thinking about how, because of what we've been taught about the gospel and the essence of of what we require and how God thinks. we focus tended to focus consciously and subconsciously very much on mercy following us. Thank God that mercy follows us. You know, thank God that God will forgive us and accept us. Um, when There are two things. First of all, what's translated mercy there doesn't mean mercy. It's actually the, the Hebrew word hesed, which means loving-kindness. Which we trans, we've translated into English, and in some of our English translations, we've translated as mercy. But but mercy is a very um, um, what do you call it when you're in the legal thing, the judicial. judicial. Mercy is a very judicial term, but that's because we we have converted God from Father to, to turn him to God into Judge, and therefore everything's judicial. So. So we, instead of talking about loving kindness, we talk about mercy, because we need mercy when actually uh, God indiscriminately has poured loving kindness upon humanity, and that's why it's preceded by the word goodness. And, uh, you know, so I I thought about it in the night and thought some more about it the following day, that we don't tend to think that goodness is following us, you know, and, and so we're not looking for goodness to... To show up, we think everything's going to be rubbish and we're going to need a lot of mercy, when, when David said, "Goodness follows us." And uh, you know, some, some of the reason we don't experience that, and I think some of that probably will emerge tonight as we talk about this, is because we're not looking for goodness to follow us. We subconsciously don't think it should, for, because we think everything that follows us we should have deserved. So therefore, we're not sure that we've earned goodness. We think maybe we're just qualified for mercy, but our goodness is probably not something that, that is ours. And yet, and yet, David had understood that, that in this promise of the good shepherd, um, he says goodness follows us, and, and we've got to start looking more for goodness. I realize I can be bad at that. For those of you who did the Enneagram, Ameth 6, loyal skeptic. Uh, my problem is that I once saw the world in a certain way, and now I see the world in a very different way. And uh, so my tendency now is not to look for goodness; it's to spot, you know, the betrayals, the, you know, the uh, the letdowns, the failures, the faults. And, um, and and I have to combat that. And the way to combat that is part of that is to understand that there is goodness in the world that God has put here, and it follows us. And we often don't give room for that goodness to emerge because we're not focused on the right thing. So uh, goodness is following you, Barbara, even in the middle of all this. Uh, goodness and loving kindness. So we're going to pray. Father, thank you for Barbara. We, we are honoured and blessed that she has been part of our lives and uh, that we have drawn from who she is in so many ways. And uh, we just, first of all, we return that because you said freely as you've received, freely give. We just, we just send back to Barbara from our own hearts and lives the blessing that we have received, uh, but we also thank you tonight for your loving kindness and your goodness that you said will follow us all the days of our life, doesn't get cut off when we reach 70 or whatever, all the days of our life, and so uh, we just we just release that tonight, Father. We accept it. We receive it. We honor it. We believe that word. We release that word on Barbara. And we, uh, we declare and pray for a quick healing of this leg in Jesus' name, completely and totally, because of your goodness. Amen. Amen. All right. So I hope, you, um, I hope you got on okay with the varied program that we had while we'd been away for our long stint. I know some of you enjoyed it, some of you, it's a stretch because it's uh, it's different stuff, but thank you for being part of it and um, and participating and honouring. We appreciate it. Um, it's a risk that a lot of churches would never take, <clears throat> because it's like, well, we just got to keep all the, you know, all the sheep corralled so that we don't give any space for anything different, but it's a risk that we are very happy to take, because at the end of the day, we want you to be helped and blessed and blessed. Uh, and, um, Church is not everything. In fact, church as we understand it is not the thing. Being the temple of God ourselves is the thing. Being temple together, our gathering, our helping one another is what it's all about, not the institution. So thank you to those who, um, who led and, and ran all that. Thank you to those of you who participated in it. Um, I, if I'm honest, pretty much hated missionary meetings when I was growing up in church. Uh, I didn't hate missionaries. I just hated missionary meetings because um, usually it could have been done in five minutes, but instead we were always there for an hour and thirty minutes, and uh, we we only needed two pictures, twenty tops, uh, you know. But on the three hundredth picture of the of the two thousandth person that you don't recognise because you didn't know him anyway. Um, you know, it all got a little bit trying. Like I say, I loved missionaries and I had great, great appreciation and admiration for what they were doing, but was never quite sure about the uh, about the missionary meetings. Of course, f- 20. <laughs> 20. 20. I've got. So I was very aware that I, uh, having said that, I didn't want to be a hypocrite because uh, we could be <laughs> we could be guilty of the same thing when you're talking about. Um, you know what what you've been doing and what you've been up to, and um, kind of eliciting heartfelt prayer and support for for that. So I um, I kind of wanted to somewhere in this to encourage you that that we're all on a life journey. And uh, all that Chris and I are doing is simply part of a life journey. There's nothing peculiarly, 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 how do pecu- peculiarly, particularly, you can't even say it, can you? <laughs> we'll say particularly peculiar uh, about what we're doing. It, it, it's different, it's another thing. You might say, well, I'd like to be in another country doing whatever. Um, so you know, but but in essence of of a life journey, really, we all we all just stand before the Father, loved by Him, simply trying to be who we're supposed to be, and and so this essence really is that uh, there's no stardom in this. Uh, it's really us just trying to be who we're supposed to be, and to use the to use the gifts that God has given us in the best way possible to to be that. I I I have an aversion. I'm just you know just. For myself, you know, i a lot of time in America, I have an aversion, I see it in some other countries, that that wherever you go, pastors are always introduced as, you know, Pastor Anth or Pastor Chris or whatever. And I don't like it, I'll be honest, you know, because we don't come in and say Bank Manager Mick. <laughs> you know, we don't come in and say Business Trainer Jenny. Uh, so for me, I think, well, why should the pastor get get, you know, specifically picked out And it's because of this distortion that somehow there is something so uniquely special about that that it goes beyond function to position. And uh, so we honour you, right? Honour you for all that you are and all the gifts. Uh, I just wanted to say that so that we realise we're all part of a a much bigger picture. Um, Now, I'll put one slide up there. This is the Salt Lake City Temple, which is a pretty, uh, pretty impressive structure in all honesty very gothic um, and uh, fascinating Chris and I find it fascinating and uh, that's in Temple Square in Salt Lake City which um, which is a huge it's a pl- the Mormons pretty much on downtown Salt Lake City anyway and their headquarters is is built around the temple I mean a lot of money um, a lot of wealth uh, quite impressive but what is interesting is um, when, we were, when we were starting on this journey, which has now been going on since about 2014, um, a little while ago, I think it may have been last year or the year before, Riley was building with his Lego bricks. And uh, he built this structure. And it was very interesting. You'll see why in a moment. Because when he finished this structure, um, we said to him, you know, what, what is that, Riley? He said, it's a church. And uh, he said, but it's a church that nobody's allowed in. Because we'd said, oh, there's no door. You haven't put a door in it. He said, no, because it's a church that nobody's allowed in. Now, that was just before uh, I was about to make a trip to Salt Lake City. He had no idea. I was too young to have any concept of, of Mormonism or the temple or anything but this is the church that nobody's allowed in the, the only place that y- you possibly could get is underneath in the lower part uh, is a place where they're baptised um, for the dead because they you know you can be baptised for dead relatives to baptise them into the Mormon church so you're a celestial family in the in the afterlife, there are a couple of functions under there, but the main part of the temple, the only way you can get in is by what's called a temple invite. And uh, you have to have, I think, three of those to be able to go to the temple, which you earn. But then being in there, they do things like sealing the marriage and all these kind of ceremonies, which, which in all reality are, they're, they're more akin to the to Freemasons' um, rituals than anything that you and I are, are familiar with. Now, that doesn't mean there's not lovely Mormons and sweet Mormons and precious people. I'm just telling you something about how it's set up and how uh, Riley, with no understanding, built the church that nobody's allowed in. So you're in an environment where this is kind of, uh, it's an open-closed shop, you know, uh, and I won't say a lot about, about that tonight but it was the other thing I wanted to say because um, a, a couple of weeks after that Riley built another thing said what are you building Riley he says uh, I'm building the church you can see where he's grown up can't you yeah, he, call, he calls himself he says I'm a son of the church because oh, what he what he means by that is is that he's the son of of granddad and granddad has the church so therefore he's a son of the church is what he means in his his little mind but he He built this one and he built, this one was open and there were ninjas in it. He put all his Ninjago figures in it and said, what are you building now? He said, this is the church that everybody can come in just like granddad's church. So I was fascinated that, that somehow, even in his little spirit, he was picking up, you know, if you like the vibes of what were going on, the church that nobody's allowed in and the church that everybody's allowed in. Um, and the truth is, that's part of our heart for Salt Lake City, is, is this conversation, this openness, this, this debate, this willingness to wrestle with the issues where people feel welcome. So, not too much about that, except to say this. Life is a journey, and um, the question is, is there somewhere in that journey... Um, if it's not a predetermined plan, which which I don't think it is, is there somewhere in that journey something of divine purpose? That, that in some mystical ways available to us and accessible by us without it ever dominating us, without it ever controlling us, because if it did dominate and control, then we would have to say that God is a manipulator and I know that he isn't. And if it was a very specific defined plan that had to be fulfilled in order for X to happen, it would mean that God is very limited by human understanding and human activity Um, and also that you and I are pretty much stuck because it would mean that we would consistently have to find and fulfill this thing called the will of God with which I was intimidated for much of my life. I don't think deliberately by the people who taught me and preached to me, but in my mind uh, and my heart, I carried this fear of missing the will of God. What if you miss the will of God? What if you don't fulfill the will of God? And this sense that if you didn't, you would miss your destiny, and uh, somehow there would be judgment because you didn't fulfill the plan of God. Well, you need to know I don't believe that one iota of that is correct. I don't believe it's biblical. I think God does have plans and I think his plans are for us to prosper. I think his plans for us to be blessed. His plans for us are to find our purpose in life but it's not that rigid, strict, you have to find this thing. It's more of a, a partnership process. So, so the question then would be, is it just a mashup of independent, disconnected occurrences or are all the components, parts and words and sentences and paragraphs and chapters forming the story, which is our life, it is our life more like a book is written than than like a like something imposed upon us that like when you're writing a book, the story continues, and the next thing in the story is there because of the previous thing in the story, and the author's always working out the story so that by the end of the story, usually the story finishes up okay, right. You don't usually get to the end of story and they all died, the end. You know, it's usually we survived great adversity and difficulty and relationship breakdowns and, and all kinds of stuff and then we had some success and we lost it and, and then, but by the end of the book, it kind of all, somehow all those ends come together and figure out. I, I see God's authoring in our life much like that, 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 that we are developing word by word and line by line and sentence by sentence and and, and paragraph by paragraph and chapter by chapter, which, which says to you and me that wherever you are right now, this is not the end of the book, right? This is a chapter in the book and you may just be in the middle of a sentence within a paragraph within the chapter, but it's not over yet. And I think that's why David was able to say goodness and loving kindness come into this because because his story was being written and being written and being written. And and even when he made mistakes, the mistakes were incorporated into the story and then the story was written so that the mistakes didn't dominate the story. The outgoing story overwhelmed the mistakes and the issues and the problems because all the time God is looking for our best and looking for, for good in our lives. So, so... So the issue is, do we surrender editorial control of our story to external forces that have no real interest in our story, only their own interest? How much do we let circumstance and people's attitudes and, and life take editorial control over our story? So we, we begin to let our story be written for us rather than by us, do you understand what I'm saying? And we're all guilty of that, I am too, uh, and of course that's where our, often our depressions and our anxieties come from because we've submitted editorial control to someone else. Now, um, do I believe that we are totally responsible for our own lives? My, my personal answer to that would be no. Do I feel we're responsible? Yes. Do I feel we're totally responsible? My answer would be no, because I cannot exclude the divine. I cannot exclude that something beyond. I can't exclude God putting his hand on my hand and help me to spell out the words, how the words could be and should be if I uh, get past my own self-interest. So I'm saying this because I want to build what I say about our journey Around this, so you can understand your life is also part of this this journey. So, if there is a God, does does He bring with Him the skill of a great author to aid us in in writing our story? You know, I, I, I think the answer to that is yes. And I think the answer is that as we live our lives, if we understand the realm and dynamic of the mystery of that which is God that there is within that an authorship, if you like, a co-authorship of something that becomes our story, that I think at the end of the day um, brings us to the place where, where um, you know, in the words of Jesus, we get the well done, good and faithful servant. So I would have to say, in so much uh, of my life's journey, um, I, I would say I have seen his hand, God's hand on mine, in writing the story, and hopefully, some of this will provide encouragement for you in your own journey uh, of faith. So, the question is, what do cars, and feathers, and hummingbirds, and jigsaws, and church signs, and tattoos have to do with God and purpose? And the answer is, it depends on who you are. Because different things mean different things to different people, because we are different people, and we, we relate to the world and we, we draw inspiration and information in different ways. So to try and package even... A journey like this that we're talking about that we have made or a journey like you made into a one-size-fits-all would be foolish because you'll then be trying to make sense of things that mean sense to Anth rather than realising there are things that make sense to you and you've got to see them through the right eye. You've got to see them in the right way because what I believe is, is, is God who is co-authoring with us is constantly doing things that speak to us to say, it's okay, I'm here. It's all right, we got this. And so those things are important to me. Now, um, uh, I had hoped that our call to Salt Lake, and I'll use that term, a call, because really it was a call. A call is simply a voice that comes out of somewhere and says, ought to do this. And Chris and I both felt, felt that. And um, for those of you who know our story, in, in 1984, I heard clearly a voice that I believe is God, telling me that we needed to go to Scotts Bluff in Nebraska in the USA, we need to stay there for a year, and various things that would happen. We didn't know the place existed, as those of you who know the story are aware, um, but the place did exist. And, um, you know, in my, in, we, we were to go when I was 30, which was in 1986, so in my, in my joyful 30-ness, uh, it was no issue to me to uh, to pack Chris and Joel in a car down to London to catch a plane with three suitcases, Joe was three at the time, and to clear off to this place called Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Who did we know? Nobody. Did you really know where it was? Not really, we just know where to land and and go. So we literally turned up in there knowing nobody and nobody knowing us. Now I'm just giving you this little bit of background because I want you to see the connection. as I was driving into Scotts Bluff for the first time, I heard that same voice, the voice of God say to me, in six weeks you'll be pastoring a church that I've sent you here to lead. Um, leaving out all the details, six weeks later, I was the senior pastor of First Assembly of God in Scottsbluff, Bluff, Nebraska, about three or 400 people. Uh, a very, a very um, uh, uh, functioning place. It wasn't like, you know, we've got three people about to shut the door, so who cares, you might as well have a go. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was happening, um, but miraculously, against all the odds and against the way the system works there, there I am, suddenly called out on a Sunday morning, six weeks in, and boom, you're the pastor of this church, which was great because you instantly know, well, this is a, most of what this is about. So you're just six weeks in and we've got this, we've got this, we know what we're doing, now, you know, there's a big story around that, but, of course, I would have preferred uh, our call to Salt Lake to be like that. And I think something inside of me, uh, if it didn't expect that, hoped for that. Because, like, it's very easy to come back and say, hey, guys, here's the deal for six weeks. Um, but it hasn't been like that. Uh, it's been... It's been um, different, if you put that slide two up, um, the, that's, that's Scott's Bluff, that's not the town, that's the bluff, okay, that's called a bluff, it's a, a rocky outcrop in America, they're either called a, a bluff or a mesa, depending which part of the country you're in, well, or, or yeah, or a butte, boot, a boot, B-U-T-T-E, which we call butt, because it, it's much funnier, and you have more laughs when it's, uh, especially when it's red butt, we quite like that. But Scott's Bluff is off to the the right of that now, the reason I want, I showed you this is because and again, i'm backtracking a little bit on our journey because uh, we lived in Scott's Bluff for a year and, and we went up that thing more times than we could mention, um, never realizing at the time some of the significance of that because um, um, when we went back in 2016, Chris and I, on our little pilgrimage that we felt God was speaking to us about the whole thing, we suddenly saw the connection between our journey of being there in 86, of being in Scotts Bluff and, and of Salt Lake. Because when you go to the top of Scotts Bluff, what you realise, when you look to the east, I mean, it's as flat as a billiard table. I mean, it's just, uh, you, you have you have over a 1,000 miles, basically, of, um, of just flat plains, it's the Great Plains. And uh, about 40 miles from Scotts Bluff is, a, is another rocky outcrop called Chimney Rock, which is shrinking by the year, so it's just soft sandstone there. But when the pioneers uh, were coming across from the east, these were the marker points of the breakup of the Great Plains, which had been a miserable existence in the heat and the grass and the mosquitoes and you know, just very little water. But they followed the North Platte River and finished up here. So, so this was a major stopping point. And what we didn't know, but we discovered then, was that what it says on the plaque, right on the top of Scott's Bluff, is that this is where Brigham Young brought the Mormon settlers on their way to the Great Salt Lake Valley, and Salt Lake was where they stopped and had a very special gathering together because this was like, they'd finished the Great Plains, this was like the beginning of the end of the journey, this was the road to, this marked the sign of the road to where they were going, even though they didn't know particularly where that something was, which is the Great Salt Lake Valley. But this plaque says, this is where Brigham Young stopped on his way to Great Salt Lake Valley. So there's only two places named on the plaque up there, Scotts Bluff, and Salt Lake, which interestingly was we didn't know there would ever be a connection between our time in Scotts Bluff and our time in Salt Lake City, but and I'll, I'll tell you some more of what I believe the significance of that um, was in, in due course in its outworking. Um, so that, that's how those two were connected. Now, I'm going to drop another little story in here that I'm going to leave till the end, but you need to know it now. 2015, um, I got a tattoo that was meaningful to me. Uh, some of you won't like tattoos, but that's okay. Then it was meaningful to me. Um, I got it done by a guy, I won't give you his full name, his name is Josh, uh, at a tattoo shop in a place called Clearfield, Utah, which is 30 miles north of Salt Lake. I won't give you the name of the shop either, um, seeing as we're on live stream. Um, while I was there, the interesting thing was we... For any of you who didn't know the intricacies of our story, there's always been this connection with tattoo artists. It's like there's just kept coming up. And uh, it came up even in 2016 when we went, um, when uh, when Kev Craven had told us about Carl with a K, and uh, Beth had told us about, there was just this thing about this tattoo artist and she'd been, and we found Carl with a K, who was a tattoo artist, who had lived in Salt Lake City but now lived in in, 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 in St. George, Utah, which is nearer to uh, to Las Vegas, but in contacting him, he put us in touch with, with the guys at Genesis Project, which is in Ogden, which has now been our major church connection there, all through the tattoo shop and the tattoo artist and and again, one of the guys that's become significant there. so so anyway, I'm as I'm doing this, you know. Because the, the, the last thing you want to do in those kind of environments, you know, you just don't go in and say, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, and I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the conversation. So you've got to do it a little bit more subtly, but most often, if you'll just be real, um, the conversation will come to you. You won't have to chase it. <clears throat> um, and what, what's fascinating as well, the more honest you are, the more open people become. So when the thing came, what do you do? Um, you know, I often, depends what environment I'm in. Some environments I'll say, you know, I'm the, I'm the managing director of a charity, which I am, because we are a, a charity and a company, of which I am the managing director. Um, sometimes now I will use the term, I also lead a spiritual community, which opens up a lot more conversation than saying I lead a church. So I've learned that little trick as well. But of course, when when it, when it comes in you know to say oh, what do you do well actually you know uh, you know my main job is as a, is as a um, a pastor because because I'm a follower of Jesus but not a very good one but I'm hoping to be much better the moment you say not a very good one and you're a pastor um, it's like immediately it's like oh you know uh, and so we had great con- and, and so we begin a conversation but before that what had happened was I'm in this shop and one of the guy comes in and he says, oh you guys have got to see this, so he pulls up a thing on YouTube of some guy who's trying to live the Ten Commandments for a month, uh, literally live the Ten Commandments for a month, um, and, and to live the Beatitudes along with the Ten Commandments. So of course I'm fascinated, I haven't said a word up to this point, and they, just, they have this most fascinating conversation about this. Um, and then of course, well what do you think about all of this? So, you know, we, we had some conversation about what I thought and, and the conversation was fascinating, it was fabulous, it was open, and of course what is also interesting is that with 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 some of those people you realise they they have no one to open up the deepest concerns of their hearts to. And so all of a sudden I find myself being, if you like, the father confessor. This has happened to me twice in these situations. Uh, people telling you things that they've never told anybody else in their life. And so all of a sudden now you've become not a pastor of some church or some you know, religious person. Suddenly now you've become Jesus to them. You are accessible. They can open their hearts. So, so that happened to me in 2000. 15, October 2015, so just, just file that away for a moment, okay? So, um, our unfolding purpose in, in Salt Lake at the moment seems more about people than platform. Now, it's not my preference. If you to say, do you want a platform or do you want people, I'd say, give me the platform every day of the week. This is far too, it's far too people-y for me. And yet, so, so when some of you think about being out of your comfort zone, I'm out of my comfort zone. Seriously, seriously out of my comfort zone, not just a toe out, I'm completely out. We've not had opportunity to preach to anyone, anywhere, during all of this time there, when if you'd have said, what is God going to do? I would have said, oh, he's just going to give us a platform so we can share what we've learned. But instead, God has given us people. And he's given us people who are at a point in their journey where where they need to talk with someone who has walked a similar journey who first of all is not judging them for the questions and struggles that they're having and secondly, actually has some useful dialogue to put into the conversation to help them in their discipleship, their journey, their following of Jesus that they are just not able to find in any other place. So I told you um, last time we talked about this that, that God had really spoke to me about uh, this guy called Philip and, and the Ethiopian eunuch in, in the book of Acts. How Philip was doing his thing in Samaria. He was an evangelist, he had a good thing going on, and then God speaks to him and says, go out to the desert. Uh, and in the desert, he meets this chariot that's, that's got an Ethiopian guy who's been to Jerusalem, who I've preached about this before, wouldn't have had a very good experience. He's heading back to Ethiopia, and Philip meets his chariot. Now, th- the issue for me is, think of how difficult it actually is to meet a chariot in the desert when the chariot's going that way and you're going that way. It's actually that the accuracy of the coordinates and the timing are, are so unbelievably difficult that in essence it shouldn't happen, but it did. And we've got this story that talks about Philip meeting this guy. Now, my question would be, the guy's got a chariot. Why not get him to ride his chariot to Samaria instead of getting Philip to walk out into the jolly desert? Just get this dude who, who's a representative of the royal family, so he's not short of a bob or two. Why not get him to divert to Samaria? But you see, he didn't because it was about Philip's willingness to leave the comfort and the success of what he was doing because there was, there was an, a, a divine meeting that needed to take place. And uh, the truth is, that's really a lot of what has happened with our Salt Lake thing. It would be far cheaper for us and for the church and far more convenient for these people, for God to say, go to Kew in York. But just like with the Ethiopian eunuch, he hasn't. But what's fascinating is that we've seen people come through Salt Lake City, the sole reason being the interaction with us, And one of those families has come and gone because they had no reason to be there. And in some ways, unless we were starting a church there, which we may or may not, I don't know, um, had no reason to stay. But the reason for their being there was this interaction because the conversation they needed, they couldn't find. But God in his grace put our lives together so that we could talk through the things and the, uh, and the questions and the issues that they were facing to, uh, to bring some, some change to their life. So, so, um, so, it's more about people than platform. Now, that's, that can seem less important. Um, it can question, why us, why there, why now? Uh, and, and I must admit those things go through my mind because I'm, the way I'm programmed is if I'm not doing this, I'm not really doing anything. Okay? Uh, if I'm not in America because I'm, I'm, I'm helping a congregation, I've no reason to be there. That's my psyche. So, so um, I, I don't all the time feel secure in, because I'm not letting out of me what's in me. So this is where things like cars and feathers and hummingbirds come in. God knows my language. He said, "Well, what what's the deal about? Um, you know, why why would a why would a car be important?" Um, well, let me put slide three up. This is what this is what we were driving around in for, for almost six weeks. That is a that is a seventy-five thousand dollar Cadillac. Um, Escalade, with all the bells and whistles. I mean, even when you go out of your lane, you see buzzers on the side that you're going out of your lane, and it's got more... When you're parking, you can see where you're parking because there are cameras all around it. You can see the parking space, and it's just all kinds of ridiculous stuff on it. And you say, well, why were you wasting money on that? Well, the truth is I wasn't, you see. So the cheapest deal that I could get... Um, for six weeks, because obviously buying a car and insuring a car would be grossly expensive. Um, so I, I, I booked the cheapest thing I could find with Hertz, which was a, which was a pickup truck. Which I'm very happy. even get the cowboy hat on, ride the pickup truck. Very nice. Crew, c- crew cab pickup. $1,036 for almost six weeks. Any of you that have to rent cars, well, not. that's a good deal. That's including everything. So I turn up and say... I don't really need the pickup now, you know, I'd booked it before, you know, can I still pick from the lot, um, you know, what what I'd want to drive? So this is 12.30 at night, you know, you're in the following day, it's middle of the night. Uh, Yeah, just just go in the circle there, take what you want. So so yours truly, spots the Cadillac Escalade and uh, And in we go and off we go. Now, the thing is, to pay for that, it it would be $6,400 for the six weeks. But we paid $1,036. You see, goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Loving kindness. Now you say, well, why is that important? It might not be important to you, but it was important to me... Because those kind of things to a guy like me was saying, God is smiling on this. It's all right, God is with you. Goodness is following you. It's not the ordinary, it's the extraordinary. So you've got 3,000 miles to do, do it in this. That's the kind of thing God would do, isn't it? So like I said, if, if this is not you, that might mean nothing to you. But what it meant to me was from the moment that we landed, God was saying, it's okay, son, I've got this. We're okay. So so that was the that was the uh um, the little little carpet. Now um uh put slide four up. Let's let's talk about this for a moment. These hey. these people are the Tuttles. That's their real name. Um they uh Donnie and, and Christine have have eight children. The guy in the maroon shirt at the back is not their children, he's the He's, he's the boyfriend of the, of the oldest daughter. Um, but they have eight kids, God bless them, God help them. And why? But all of that's by the by. Uh, all of them together, they all used to live down in Florida. Um, and uh, uh, some stuff happened that really just disillusioned them with the church, with, 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 with their understanding of God, with the Bible, with the whole thing. And, and, and I won't tell you the story, but... But it, you know, very legitimately, was a, a very shaking time, and um, and so they um, they finished up out of the particular church that they were in. And Donnie can do what he does from anywhere because he's a he's a a business coach, a sales coach. And uh, Christine always wanted to travel, so so they said, well, let's do that. You know, now that we we've no reason to be here. And they couldn't find anywhere where they could get the conversation they needed to resolve the questions that they asked. So where shall we go? So they cleared off up to, up to, um, up to Maine in New England, on the way up on the northeast. Now for somebody from Florida, that's, you know, it's like you can't go any further or you're into Canada. So they went from all that sunny weather to the freezing cold winters of Maine and, and all that stuff. And while they were in Maine, uh, suddenly... Out of nowhere. Uh, should we go somewhere else? Yeah, where should we go? Salt Lake City. Now, um, you don't just go to Salt Lake City because you think, where shall we go? Let's go to Salt Lake City any more than where shall we go? Let's go to Scottsbluff, Nebraska. You don't, you know, people are shocked when when you're from England and you're in Salt Lake and you're not Mormon. So it's like, well, why would you, why are you here? Especially in the summer, you know, when I'm in mean, the winter, you've got the skiing. So, um, but, um, so they just decide to go. Now, of course, again, I'm, I'm reiterating because some of you have not heard this part of the story. So, Bob Nichols' son, Ben, has several little businesses going. He's quite a little entrepreneur. And so, Ben decides he needs a particularly a sales coach and an advisor. So, he finds this guy from Southwestern Consulting called Donnie Tuttle, and so Ben signs up with Donnie, and Donnie starts coaching Ben, and then Donnie says to Ben, oh, by the way, we're moving to Salt Lake City. And Ben says, oh, really? I know some people who are going to Salt Lake City. Um, you know, you should meet them when you're there. Oh, who are these people? Oh, it's Anthony Chris Chapman. Is that the Anthony Chris Chapman from York in England? Yeah, how do you know them? Well, we were in the church that Anthe and Chris came to and Anth preached at several times about six, seven, eight years ago and, and we were so moved by what we heard. I mean, it was just a major turning point in our life and uh, since we had our disruption, we have fed off that ministry and we have fed off the ministry that we have found online that has sustained us and kept us going all this time so it would be wonderful to meet. So, So just out of nowhere, you find these people who were touched by us, who make this journey, who arrive in Salt Lake just at the time that we're there, who know Ben Nichols, who's Bob Nichols' son, and most of you know Bob, who knows us, and suddenly suddenly, you've got these divine coordinates working together. And the time with them has been absolutely powerful, Uh, particularly with the kids um, who... I've got all the millennial questions, all the stuff going on about God and chaos and creation. And, and uh, you know, the last thing that they're looking for is somebody to say, you have to believe X. They want dialogue, they want debate, they want conversation. And so we, we've had the last two times we've been in, had just tremendous times um, with all of the family, helping them, ministering to them, blessing them, answering questions, debating for long hours... And, um, and so that, they left on the 3rd of September, so we caught them August, August 3rd of August. Uh, so you might say, well, why are they leading? Because we're thinking, if we did need to start a church, we got 10 people instantly. <laughs> uh, and the truth is, they would have done it at the drop of a hat. And I, I honestly, I'm not sure that their time in Salt Lake is is the last time. Now they're back down in Florida. We're fine with that because um, we were there for such a time as was necessary for them. And you see, we can we can try to hold on to things because we think that's what gives us value rather than rather than, it's a bit like your kids. You don't hold on to your kids, you feed them, you serve them, you bless them, you help them, and then you say, do what you gotta do. So so the Tuttles were part of this, but that was the miracle of it, letting us know God is in this, because it wouldn't have happened without all those little cross-connections, um, and, then, and then we have had people contacting us, some who we've known historically, some uh, only recently, and so this next couple that, that are up here is uh, Rick and Becky Hood, who live in a place called Johnstown in Colorado, just south of Fort Collins. and uh, they're a sweet couple, I knew them a little bit from Scotts Bluff, but I haven't seen them for 20 years. And suddenly this connection comes up again. Now, because of some things we felt we needed to do in going back down to Scotts Bluff, rather than them coming to Salt Lake, we went to see them. But it's a lot easier to drive from Salt Lake to Johnstown than it is to fly to all these different places on separate occasions. It, like, is all connected to our base. Because we have a base, we've been able to do this stuff. Now, Becky, um, there on the, on the left, is... Becky was... Diagnosed with false stage breast cancer, and she's been she's had um, uh, several bouts of chemo, she's still going through treatment. But, but here's where the fascinating thing is you say, Well, why, why were you with them at such a time as that? Well, there are a couple of things that were interesting. Number one, um, Becky, th- we went for breakfast with them. Um, Sunday morning. What Sunday morning. on a Sunday morning, that was our church. Sunday morning we met them for breakfast and, um, and um, Becky told us this amazing story. She said, she, said um, um, she had this dream and in the dream white feathers were falling out of the, the sky. They were coming into the room where she was on the bed. Just, just white feathers, just a, just a storm of white feathers to the extent when she woke up have she, you ever had those dreams? She honestly thought she would wake up and the room would be full of white feathers. Well, she woke up and it wasn't, but a verse from Scripture came into her mind, and the verse was, he will cover you with his feathers and hide you under his wings. The next day, she was diagnosed with forced-stayed breast cancer. After that dream, the night before, and the feathers, that's when she was diagnosed. Now, you can imagine the... The, 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 the horror of the diagnosis, but the comfort that somehow in the writing of this story, there was something bigger and beyond that was involved in this. Now, of course, what Becky didn't know, but some of you know, I was going through a really bad time about three years ago, a terrible personal time, wrestling with many things. And uh, when I was at my lowest one day, I was out walking the dog. And uh, as, I, as I was walking with the dog, at my lowest, crying out to God for help. A white feather floated down out of the just, I don't know where it came from, I looked around, white feather floated down, I caught it with my hand. And then for, for probably two years after that, pretty much every single day, wherever I went, there would be a white feather. I'd walk out of our door of the house, there'd be a white feather on the floor. Now you might say, well, that sounds very new agey and weird, and I don't care what it sounds like. Just like the car that was speaking to me, every day it was like God saying, the story's not over. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you because you've got the, the white feather is my word to you. That it's gonna be okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. So of course, Becky and I had a real connection with the, with the white feather thing over that. Now, now, another couple of things. One, I'll jump forward. When Chris and I went back up to Salt Lake, we went into, what was the shop Hallmark. Well, we, yeah, went into a shop called Hallmark which is like, you know, it's a bit like here with the cards and various trinkets and uh, lo and behold Chris walked across to where there are all these like Christmas ornaments and and uh, Halloween ornaments and stuff and, and right there there was a white feather a, 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 like a porcelain white feather and I can't remember what it said on it, hope yeah, hope, blessing and something on it, well we went in, in lots of Walmart shops there, we went back in that shop, never saw another one of that feather, they just never saw it. There was not another one anywhere. So of course, Chris bought it instantly and, uh, and we sent that by mail to Becky. Well, you can imagine that, again, these are little things that part of the story that means something. Now, the other thing was, as we sat down for breakfast, um, when Becky had been diagnosed, she loved to sit outside And uh, she loves hummingbirds, and so she'd put a hummingbird feeder out. You can see above above Rick's head, (coughs) that's not a balloon. looks like one from here, doesn't it, with the light on it. (coughs) It's actually a hummingbird uh, feeder with with glucose syrup in it. (coughs) And uh, she'd put this out at the beginning of the summer for them, which was like April. And not a single hummingbird had been near that thing in all of that time. But as we sat down for breakfast and and blessed them and talked about the goodness of God, two hummingbirds flew into the garden and landed on the feeder and started feeding. She'd not had them until, you know, I tell you, we carry some stuff with us. (laughs) And uh, these hummingbirds have kept coming back ever since the day that we went. So you had the feathers, you had our visit, and you have the hummingbirds that are still, are still going back to her house. Now, imagine the lift in her spirit. Why? Because just like the cow and the feathers and the other things for me, that's saying to her, this is not the end of the story. Goodness is following you. And my expectation is, is that Becky will make it through all this. If she doesn't, it'll still be okay. But my expectation is there's a goodness that's being shown to her in all of this uh, that is making it. So, so so, we felt we'd brought some value. And of course, we've continued with that because of course, they also have questions that they're, some people are like back here at, at part one of the journey and some of them are like, you know, three miles further on. they they're, a part of the journey that I think we, we've got a lot more to unfold. Uh, tremendous people, lovely. So then we moved on to, to, to Scott's Bluff because this is, this is how our journey took us. And the next picture is a couple called Larry and Sally Russell. who uh, Larry is a, a, a motor engineer who uh, has a, business, a successful business in Scott's Bluff, but has left that business with Sally, uh, and they are now pastoring in the Summers of God Church Cornerstone Fellowship. Uh, in a little place called Ma Ma something thought it was was Ba, might be Ba it'll come to me, it doesn't matter anyway it's only a detail Um, but what was interesting with Larry and Sally, we've we've known them they were in the church when we were in Scotts Bluff 32 years ago Uh, but as we connected with them in 2016 we reconnected with them and then this time we reconnected and Uh, The conversation was just, back in 16 was good, this was even better. Um, And what it made us realise is that um, being there for somebody at where they are in their journey so you can contribute to leading them on is is so valuable, it's so wonderful and and we felt that we were placed there for such a moment as that. A few things about moving into this church and things we could talk about and talk through And, uh, you know, without giving all the detail of that, uh, to tell you how it went, Larry, we we spent probably four hours with them, um, which for me is a long time. I'm not a peopley person. It's like, flip, that's half a lifetime. Uh, You know, Larry's thing was, you will be coming back and you will make sure we have more time next time, won't you? See, I'm out of my comfort zone. Uh, why? Because we are now engaged with that journey as well. So we're engaged with Rick and Becky, we're engaged with that journey, we're engaged with the Tuttles, and we also engaged with another couple who, stupidly, we didn't take a, a selfie of, called Pam and Terry Carrier, who are very precious friends. We've known them since we were in Scotts Bluff again. Amazing story, connecting with their journey, all about where we are. So uh, then one of the, I'll, I'll give you of, of the things, uh, I think it's, it's the next picture this, this guy Eric Eric Hardy, handsome Eric uh, he is a former Apache strike helicopter pilot and in the, in the US Army has been in action He's a very sharp guy um, but Eric is the guy who I've told you again this story before that that um, uh, about 20 some years ago I felt I needed to be in in Boulder Colorado uh, while I was there all the I could get in my spirit was, was city on a hill, you know, don't, don't cover up your, your, your light but let it shine like a city on a hill and uh, there's a church in Boulder called City on the Hill and uh, so I, I moseyed on in there, cut the story short, felt I had some things to say to one of the leaders there, a guy called Lauren Ancarlo, uh, never saw them from that day to this, that was, that was the one interaction. Um, I know that what I brought was, was important, but what is interesting is that, um, <clears throat> that, that 20 years later, I'm in Panama City, Florida, in the church of a guy called Nolan Ball, and as I'm preaching, I can't, I can't you know, you, you get, your attention gets caught. I can't get my attention off this guy who's down here, so I, I turn to this guy and say, you remind me of a guy called Lauren Ancarlo in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, so he comes to me after the meeting and says, you're not going to believe this, he said, but on this weekend, my wife and I relocate to Boulder, Colorado, where we're going to to start a church in Boulder, Colorado, which is where this Lauren Ancarlo was, where I've been all those years. And this sense that there was a connected journey here that that even that trip wasn't lost, that maybe somebody missed their way in their writing of their life a little bit and Eric was going in to pick up the story. Well, the interesting thing is Eric reconnected with us again by some of these remarkable, ridiculous means. Suddenly I get a contact from, you know, is this Anth Chapman from York? Yeah, this is Eric Hardy. And uh, Eric's still in Boulder and so Eric flew from Boulder just for the sole reason of spending the day with us um, in, in Salt Lake City and talking through where he is on his journey. He's made a big transition, uh, still working through lots of stuff, uh, becoming a wonderful friend. So again, you've got this. It's all focusing in and locating, but touching these people. And that's another story uh, yet to unfold. So, you know, those are some of the people, and I am finished, there's a few more people i I'll talk about in just a minute. But those are some of the people. Now, now um, uh, what's crazy is, from the moment we got there, it's like hummingbirds were following us everywhere. I mean, we, there are hummingbirds in, in Utah, but you, you could go there and go a whole month and not see a single one. It's like they were following us. You know, it's like, if you've ever seen Evan Almighty... When, when all the animals and birds, have fought, it was like that. Hummingbirds, now, they now say, well, why is that important? That's ridiculous, and well, it's not ridiculous. What it was, the hummingbird to us has been something significant on our journey that says, I'm with you, it's okay. Be encouraged, it's fine, keep going. So, um, you got that little video. They are fascinating things. So, I mean, they've been so close to us that, um, uh, and you see the hummingbird there that's that's how close and when you bear in mind that this big like right? they are the tiniest little things absolutely beautiful so from arriving when we didn't realize it through to seeing Rick and Becky it sounds like a guitar but it's not um, and and all the time we kept seeing these just following us just like that. So so I said about, you know, the, the cars and feathers and hummingbirds and jigsaws. You say, what's jigsaws got to do with it? Well, jigsaws have actually become very important to us, and Chris loves to do jigsaws. Uh, and uh, the interesting thing is because it comes from an inspiration that the only way we can explain what is happening to us is we feel it's like we've got a jigsaw puzzle, but no lid. So imagine trying to put together the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, you've got all the pieces, you know you've got the pieces, and the pieces fit together, but you don't have a lid. So we've had several experiences, one where Chris was putting one together and thinking, this is not working, what is going wrong here? Uh, And and then only to realise that the picture went down the sides of the lid, imagine the box lid, so the picture was not just on top, it went down the sides. Now you said, well, why is that significant? Because it was showing us the unconventionality of what we're facing and how getting the picture is not just like with Scott's Bluff, just the most normal thing in the world. It's like we're having to look in different places for the picture, but of course then it's about putting the pieces together without the picture, but then seeing that the pieces fit. So all these people, Eric and all these people, are all pieces of that of that um, jigsaw. Um, which we've now got on our wall, and if you just put them number nine, Chris has started, we found these, when, when we got the issue about the jigsaw was interesting because it's like everything follows a revelation. So once Chris had had this revelation, we go into a shop called uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, which we call Bad Beth & Beyond. <laughs> um, and, uh, and lo and behold, what do we encounter in there but these jigsaw pieces that you put pictures in and make up. So. I've no doubt before we finish that wall is going to look like a big jigsaw puzzle because in all the pictures uh, is something that is critical and important on the journey like the live here at the top. And uh, what was fascinating when we met Paul and Debbie, uh, who I'm going to talk about in a minute from Ogden, that on the bottom left that's the little alleyway that goes through to the west door of York Minster and the shop on the corner is called Ogden's. <laughs> And we took that picture and gave it to them because uh, that the change to that new owner, a that's a year ago, the change to that new owner coincided with us interacting with them or we from Ogden, Utah. All little things, but important for me because I would like to have all the picture, but it's like there's all these little bits that's saying, keep going, you can't stop now. Uh, so that that. It's part of our continued relationship with the next couple, which I'll move really quickly on, which is uh, Paul and Debbie Widmark, who are in the church at Genesis Project in Ogden, who've become very dear friends, and we are continuing to walk a journey with them, spend lots of time with them while we've been there again, and that, again, is part of the picture of our input to them and our walking with them in their journey, and again, that's, that's another story, uh, to open up. The next boy I'll show you is another wonderful contact. His name is Curvy, which if you've, n- I've never met a Curvy, C-U-R-V-Y, oh, K-E-R-V-I. K-E-R-V-I. <laughs> That's the English spelling. K-E-R-V-I. That's the English spelling. Curvy is, um, he's, as you can see, Hispanic. Is, he's Zavis. Yeah, salva's boyfriend. But this young guy, you would think you know we we're, we're in Chris is now in the sixties, so I can say this we're in our sixties, and uh, curvy was was with the tuttles because he's the eldest daughter Sava's boyfriend, and you think, well, he's just a young guy in his early twenties, you know, so um you know where's the connection going to be but we said to him, hey Cur- curvy, we you know if you want to come visit, we'd love to have you over, and you think you know it's a nice offer, but you know, if you're early 20s and these people in the 60s, you're probably going to graciously make reasons not to be there. But he didn't. So this is one of the benefits of having an apartment rather than a hotel room as well. We've been able to entertain people, bring them in, spend time. So had a most wonderful evening talking with Kirby, who, who um, was raised Mormon, um, but he's not particularly pursuing um, the Mormon um, uh, faith and uh, of course, his interaction with the Tuttles and then with us was just amazing. So, Curvy is another contact, and what was wonderful, he said, Would you be willing to come to my house to meet my family? So, next time we are hoping and intending that we'll go spend time with Curvy's family. Can you see, all these things begin to develop and, and, and move in a way. I'll just mention one other guy we were uh, when Connie and Riley came out, we went down into. There's a park downtown that's really beautiful where, uh, where uh, what used to be the main water supply comes into the, into the city on City Creek. Well, of course, now it's a, it's a haunt of dog walkers, uh, very beautiful place. And, uh, and Riley, Riley, of course, we took him in there and he loved playing with the dogs in the, in the water, in the stream. Uh, but then we met a guy with these dogs, a guy called Nazim. Who is from London, obviously is from Middle Eastern uh, Indian stock. Um, and um, uh, Nazim stopped, we began to talk. It was the most fascinating conversation. Um, he's a, he's a, a doctor who's now a research scientist in Salt Lake, been there for 10 years, and very familiar with Mormonism and Mormon doctrine and Mormon practice and Christianity. Very, very. Um, very, very academically learned, uh, but we had the most fascinating conversation, and he was he was mind blown by some of the things that we we were saying to him. There have been things that that we've you know we've learned on our journey that that just so he was another guy that we gave our number to, and uh, uh, you know it's another again all these little connections and contacts. But it was like a moment in his life. It was like you know he began to beam at one point in the conversation. Uh, just from how we were expressing and talking about God and, and our understanding of, of, of Bible, etc., was just absolutely amazing. So let me move on from that uh, to kind of try and wind this up a little bit. Uh, church experience, yeah. Um, said a little bit about this, not being critical. There, there are good places, but, but as we showed you, for, remember the slide from, from Sunday, a church for everyone, but, but all the shoes are the same. Um, the only difference is that we've got baby shoes and toddler shoes and mummy shoes and daddy shoes. Um, not by any intent to be um, unhelpful or misleading, and I don't think it is, and the church is a, a very good church, but, but the shoes actually say everything about the spiritual climate of the churches, all the churches that we visited in Salt Lake, uh, doing a good job, but a good job only for a specific parameter of person who will fit in, and it made us realize more and more we are not that we 're not looking to be that we 're happy for them to do what they do, but there is a desperate need in the Salt Lake Valley for for who we really are and who we have become and what the, what the message is that comes with that and out of that for people who need to have a conversation and have got those questions and want to reflect a little more on who God is and what Bible is and all that stuff. So that's been our experience of, uh, of church. We haven't seen anything that, that really fills that niche that is so needed, and Nazim said, that is needed, that, where people can engage in that. And I'll, I'll come back to that in just one moment when we, when we finish. Okay, so the next thing was, which was amazing, is that we're riding along the road. Chris says, have you seen those signs? And so I've got about about seven or eight here. So, so Episcopal Church here, come as you are, wherever you are, maybe on your... Journey of faith, right? It's the next one. Journey of faith may be on your journey of faith. Now, what was interesting, this isn't the first thing that Chris saw. This was the second thing, but it's interesting because we have pushed ourselves along that line. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, you're welcome. And then the next thing was actually mind-blowing because we've never seen it anywhere else. He said we'd rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. (laughs) which was great needless to say we uh we moseyed along to the episcopal church on on the sunday and that was very episcopal and those who don't know what episcopal is it's anglican so it was very anglican it was very liturgical the guy who preached was yeah a bit like holy trinity the guy who preached was lovely he was he he, he was real sweet he was he was very good and actually this was the friendliest church of all the churches we visited I all your saturday it upsets me that only twice have we been said hello to in churches in the Salt Lake Valley, and one of them was a mistake. And that really is sad. This was the friendliest place, but the most liturgical, and I'm not sure that I could hang my hat there for, for more than a week. Um, but, but what intrigued us was the sign. It was like, when, when you are not having something like you're going to be the pastor of this church in six weeks. Somebody like me needs lots of things to say, but it's still okay. You're in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And this was another one of those that God was being kind and we were glad to be there. What was also fascinating was that when we looked on the website, in the same week that you were doing the Enneagram here, they were doing the Enneagram there. So, you know, is that somewhere we're supposed to be in fellowship? Well, we're happy to be in fellowship with the leaders. Probably not where we, we, would, where we would hang our hat as a place to stay. but it was one of those things that said, look, it's okay, I'm with you. The story's unfolding, it's being written. Okay, so just a couple more things and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done. What was interesting then, we came home on Friday... And as we were outside our house on Saturday, in the beautiful sunshine, Chris pointed this out to me. Connie did. Connie did. Connie Connie did. Which Chris picked up, which is the white feather in the clouds right over our house. I, I think that's a God thing. say, so what does it change? It changes me. It, it changes my understanding. It says it's okay you're not the senior pastor of a church in six weeks, which should make you feel comfortable because it's in your comfort zone. What you're doing is what I've asked you to do. What you and Chris are doing, what you've been called to do, you're in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And when you get back here, it's okay. The feather's still following you. Now, if I see a hummingbird, then you'll be the first to know because that will be incredible. So... Where does that leave us? Well, in the context of our journey, in the context of your life, what is a signpost? And how how much information does a signpost display? Actually, not very much at all, but it's very meaningful because a signpost, its reason is to say to you, Keep going this direction. This is the way to go. This is what you're to watch out for. This is where it's taking you. Sometimes it may tell you this is how far, but signposts don't don't are not a destination. Signposts are what you encounter on a journey. Okay. When you're in a direction, signposts are important. So, I wanted to finish up a little bit here by saying what we've got a lot going on in the Salt Lake thing is lots of signposts that are saying, keep going in this direction, keep going in this direction. And I believe in all of our lives, there are signposts. How many of you know you can get talking and get distracted in the car and you miss the signs? How many of you have ever done that? We missed the signs, we got distracted doesn't mean the signs weren't there. It means we were so distracted that we weren't aware what the signs, where the signs were and what the signs were saying. When actually the signs were telling us about our direction. Keep going. This is the direction. This is where you're to go. And so what I'm very thankful to God for is that there have been enough obvious signs in the context of this journey, and particularly at this time in the trip, to say to a dummy like me, you're on the right road, keep going, keep following the signs. And so that's literally what we're doing at the moment, because much of life is about the direction you're travelling in, uh, as much or more than the destinations you reach. We've become so destination-focused, and not realise, actually, that the direction, the journey is the more important part of the process because you only get somewhere if you're prepared to travel, if you're prepared to go, if you're prepared to move. So I wanted to encourage you with that. Okay, so here's my last thing. The Mormons took seeds into the Salt Lake Valley when they arrived, not knowing which would grow there. And it took 20 years to establish the answer to that question. So they took all kinds of seeds and they found that they could grow sugar beets. So sugar beets has become a big crop in the area. And a couple of other things. Alfalfa was another thing that they found they could grow. But they took all kinds of seeds with them because they weren't sure what would grow in that climate where you've got the Great Salt Lake and so you've got different kind of soil and salinity and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's semi-desert in the summer You know, it's very hot in the summer as well as being cold in the winter. So so they took all kinds of seeds because they needed to find out which seeds would grow. And 20 years it took them. Now, I hope it doesn't take us 20 years to find which seeds will grow in the Salt Lake Valley. But we've gone bearing seed. And among the seed that we have, we're not sure which ones of those seeds are going to grow in that valley yet but we're taking them and we're planting them and we're seeing which of the seeds in this valley that will grow and will succeed and will produce a harvest. And that's where we are and that's where we're up to. So let me come back to the story I asked you to shelve. As I engaged in conversation with the tattoo artist in the shop in October 2015, um, I thought at the time, this is is great. It was wonderful, this is great. Wouldn't it be amazing to meet in a tattoo parlour considering the kinds of conversations we feel are necessary and important. That's what was in my mind in 2015. Then Chris said she'd like a tattoo, bless her heart, Jesus forgive her, absolved, okay. Uh, then Chris said she would like a tattoo. <laughs> and me too. Chris said she would like a tattoo that represented what was happening and what was important. So she has this wonderful design of a white feather and a hummingbird where the white feather becomes the hummingbird's wing. I like it, I think it's wonderful. Uh, So I contacted Josh, the guy who'd done mine in 2015, who was in Clearfield, Utah, 30 miles north, um, to find out, lo and behold, no longer were they in Clearfield, which was 30 miles north, but they'd moved the whole shop to Salt Lake City, about five minutes from where we have our apartment now remember what was in my mind, two thousand and fifteen These people are great i 'd love to engage with them much more wouldn 't it be a great place to meet together and have some conversation? but why Clearfield would have been ridiculous so along goes Chris and Connie and Chris, like I did, had the most amazing conversation in the shop with this guy who it was his day off, but he came and opened the shop very kindly to do it again, one of those one of those um, one of those. Ethiopian eunuch desert moments again. It's my day off, but if you're willing to come in tonight, we'll meet. Wonderful conversation. So, 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 who knows what the next chapter will be? Uh, who knows? Uh, I do know who I want to be close in its writing. And that's God, because I believe God has been in this from the beginning, he's still in it. And in his kindness has, particularly for me, done lots of little things that have said to my heart, it's okay, keep going. You're on the track, you're on the road. There's a story unfolding. And so I want you to believe tonight, as I just close this, that, that just like these things are in our life and there's a story unfolding, it's no different for you and I. I want to challenge you to... Uh, To You know, Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Um, Open your heart to a little bit of a different level, because because I will guarantee, I mean, absolutely, and I'm not, this is not false, I guarantee you, just like things have emerged for us, there are those little signs on the road, you will see them, you will recognise them, you will notice them, and they will be the things that you understand. They will be the things that are meaningful to you that say, Just go on, just another day, press on. This is the road, keep going, it's okay. Now you might get a rock slide or two. I remember telling you when we, in 2016, came out of the state of Wyoming into Utah State, as we came into the state, a massive rock slide came down the mountainside. The interstate goes right by, just like this wall, the interstate goes as close to the wall as the end of the pews. And the huge rock slide came down and Chris, you know, Chris shouted, you know, you think, well, what do you do? Your natural reaction is to break. But something in my spirit said, accelerate. So I did. I put my foot down and we, I mean, we shot out of there. And literally that rock slide went across the road behind us, bounced across the road. Uh, he would have taken us out without a shadow of a doubt. You can imagine, you know, you only need a rock this big coming through the windscreen at 80 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, it's, it's bye-bye world. These were, these were some big rocks. where have taken the whole... Uh, you know, and what's interesting is, not, not that I have particular views I used to have about the devil, they, they are changing, but, but that place is called Devil's Slide. And so here we are pursuing what we believe is is the divine touch of God on our lives and we're just about to enter the place that we have been sent to and, and the rock face starts coming down to try and take you out. Now, whatever that was, however that was caused, whoever did that, it was a moment for us that says, sometimes when you're passing into a new place, there are rock slides that will try and take you out. But it didn't take us out and it actually became just like the feathers and everything else, it became a mark to us that, that whatever was getting disturbed in the spiritual dimension was happening because we were on the move and we were on the go. So I just want to encourage you, look for those signs, be aware of them and that God is with you. So last slide, number 20. Chris, Chris posted this this morning. It's on Tinternet, so it's anybody's. All right. Chris posted this morning, I thought, I thought yeah, this, this is a good way to finish this. You can't skip chapters. That's not how life works. You have to read every line, meet every character. You won't enjoy all of it. Hell, some chapters will make you cry for weeks. You will read things you don't want to read, and you'll have moments when you don't want the pages to end. But you have to keep going. Stories keep the world revolving. Live yours, don't miss out. You got anything you want to add? Five to nine. 10 to. <laughs> five to, is there anything you want to add or?
1: Five minutes.
0: Okay. You there you go, I'm five done. Minutes.
1: Will you have me for five minutes? Only five minutes. Brilliant. No, I, I don't really want to add a lot, but this is what had come into my mind. Um, as we were thinking about what we wanted to share, and uh, for me, because um, obviously Anthony and I are incredibly different people, um, interpret things very differently. While well, you know there are th- some things that we see the same, um, but when we were in Scottsbluff in 1986, we were very different people, and the the only thing that you would have to say is in common with now is that we still. obedient to an unction in our heart but we were very very different people and um, when I talk about being different people we were different in the context of what we believed as Christians you know our doctrines were very different I mean when I think back now it was very much the heyday of the word of faith teaching it was Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagee Hagen, and uh, all very much, you know, your confession, you know, if you said something like, oh, I'm absolutely sick of that, you'd get absolutely told off because your confession would basically create, you know, it was so hyper in in that sense. So we went in to that um, and it was all very, uh, you know, different for for us, but we went in just basically uh, with a, a on a word uh, from God and we were uh, obedient. Now, I'm already said that on the top of Scottsbluff, Bluff, there is this sign and the only two names are Scottsbluff Bluff and Salt Lake City, which is a, an incredible thing to see because, you know, when you're on this journey and you think, whoa, what's going on here? And uh, you learn that the pilgrims, uh, the uh, pioneers that were going what you call the, the, the Oregon Trail, and the Mormon Trail passed either side of that North Platte River, one lot going to Oregon, the other stopping in Salt Lake City. And it was very clear at that time, as we saw it, that this is to do with the completion of a journey. And, uh, you know, it's not whether it's physical or spiritual or whatever, it's just the, the, the completion of a journey. Uh, the Mormons ended up in Salt Lake, the uh, others ended up in Oregon. Um, But what it occurred to me, it was to do with the completion of a journey in the context of an understanding of what we believed about God. So when I look back 32 years ago and think of what I believed about God then, I had a totally different idea. It was a very uh, judgmental God. It was a very harsh God. It was very much about um, making sure I did the right thing and you know, that, that sort of attitude. Um, and when we were, were there and then we came back home and we obviously picked up what we were doing here, um, and then things were changing because we were willing to let go because of a pioneering spirit that somehow had, I suppose, we'd swallowed the pill. Um, and we'd made up our mind that uh, we were on a, on a journey. Now it's funny, I read uh, something on Facebook today um, that a person was arguing, uh, I don't know whether you know this guy's name, but a guy called N.T. Wright, he is a very up in the hierarchical Anglican church and of course he's got great influence and quite a few years ago, I think it was 2007, he'd written this article where he was stating what he believed and then in 2012, he wrote something else that was very different. And of course, you've got a whole bunch of people saying, "No." In 2007, he said this. He will not have changed his mind because he, you know, he's, he's this incredibly influential person, and uh, he's not going to just change his mind from one thing to another. And then there's a whole bunch of other people are saying. But that's what it's about. It's about willing to be very flexible and, and, and open-minded and, and be willing to learn, even if you're at a high place in in the context of your position. Um, anyway, I hope you're getting what I'm talking about. This guy has changed his mind over over his doctrine, particularly about what we would understand as the substitutional penal atonement, what the cross means, and... Very much changed his mind on on what he sees as the meaning of the cross and particularly the wrath of god and it 's absolutely wonderful but what i 'm getting at is there 's a whole bunch of people here getting really upset. you can 't change your mind, and i don 't believe he 's changed his mind in all of this. And the reason why I say that is because it 's very, very difficult uh, and it sometimes um, challenges your credibility. Uh, when you are in a position, and I suppose NT Wright's got this this issue, that if you've held to one view over here, and suddenly you swing the pendulum and you're speaking then something that's almost opposite, then it, it creates a bit of a, a, a of a stir. But I think that that's great. <laughs> I really do, and it's just like the the pioneers who came over and they first of all hit New York and that East Coast you know, place, and then they decided there was something more. Now, that does something for me. Um, And there are times when I have felt that I was not allowed to change what I believed because there was something about being having an integrity to that which you've been given and, you know, you, you, you hold fast to what you've been given. But if that was the case of the pioneers... Then everybody would be still living on the east coast. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They would still be there. You know, they would still all be clutching to that little bit of you know that d- had the guts and the courage. And I think it's amazing to go there. But the rest of the the land was yet to be taken. And uh, I want to say, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is th- this is how I see it. Uh, that basically what we have done uh, is done a bit of a, a pioneering journey, even in our understanding and our beliefs. And I think that that's carrying on. And uh, when, you know, it, to, to highlight, a, a you know, a journey of, of a group of people, it's not that you're honoring or um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, exalting their belief what I'm, tra- what I'm doing is, is respecting very much and honouring the tenacity of what was in them to do that. I mean, it, it, it thrills me every time when you uh, look at the journey that they made. I mean, some women were holding newborn babies and walking 15 miles a day with very little water, very little help, and, you know, carrying and pushing things. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, be too what's the word dramatic but it is true you have to say that what they were willing to go through to get to where and then when Brigham Young stood at the top of this hill and he looked down into the valley and he said this is the place it must have been wonderful to think oh finally we're here you know and so that's sort of the, the story but I believe in my heart that um what this is, whether, you know, it, the, the story started 32 years ago and I believe it's going on now. Uh, the truth is it's as much about our journey here because what you learn there, you bring home. And this is about your uh, your growth. It's about what we learn as leaders in order to pass on to you that uh, your understanding or You might actually get to your. This is the place, and I think it's very important that that um, you know that that is 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 part of our journey. Now, we talk about faith and about going on a word of faith. Um, Back back thirty two years ago, I believed that faith was a series of beliefs. So, if I were to talk about my faith it would have meant a list of beliefs. I don't know whether you, you're the same. I would say now that my faith doesn't uh, mean that anymore. It's a, a more akin to Abraham that's saying, go to, you know, get up and go to a land that I will show you. Now that sounds very grand because it looks in the context of going far away or whatever but every day we wake up and there is new land. There is, there's new land for us to take, whether it's to do with the land of depression, the land of fear, the land of um, guilt, the the land of not believing in yourself, or the, the land of struggles with relationships, the land of feeling you're not worthy. Every day you've got a land that you by faith can actually step into um, because that's what what we mean by faith it's not I believe X, Y, Z you know what I mean it's I can by faith go where I've never been before and I think it's so important that we look at faith um, like that now um, I just need to say something else. One more thing and then I'll I'll finish. Uh, The thing that I am learning for me while I'm in Salt Lake is that all my life I have had a particular view of what was valuable and what was priority and what was right and what energy should go into, right? That was what I've been brought up to be. And um, when you're in a place where you cannot do that, a little bit like what Anth was saying about his longing to preach, but you're in a place where you can't. So where do you get your value? You know, it soon comes to you that you think to yourself, heck, who am I and what am I doing? Um, but I realise for me particularly that purpose... Has been the dictate of my life. Now you might say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, if you look at all the, the things on, on, on the TV about um, you know, how we should get success, it's all about purpose really dictating. But what I mean by that is that it means that you have to understand what you're going to achieve, what you're going to do, and you go for it almost blinkered. And nothing else matters. I, I hope I'm making sense here. You. You, you probably will get me in a minute. So when you're sat with somebody or you're in a park with a guy walking a dog and the conversation is very just lovely, nice about, isn't the weather gorgeous? And it's a bit like the beach, you know, you want to run on the beach and I want to analyse the grains of sand Um It it can be quite difficult because you're thinking, where is this going? What's the purpose of this? What am I achieving? Have I done what I'm meant to do? And you recognise that I'm dictated by purpose. Dung, 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 dung. Have I achieved? And what I've had to realise is that being obedient and walking in faith means that you can sit in a chair and do nothing and you're actually achieving what you're meant to achieve now that for me is a tough pill to swallow because it's not what I'm about and I just need to quickly one more thing so for instance relationships I have tended and I'm being very honest and I hope you're quite happy with this I have tended to have them on the basis of again purpose you have them for purpose if a person needs me I'll tell you what I will be there and I hope you know that that is the truth I will be there. But if you don't need me, I'm likely as not to be doing something else because purpose dictates. And I really felt that what God was saying to me, right, while you're here, you're going to learn to have relationships that are just purely relationships that have no more purpose than just because you are enjoying somebody's company rather than being a purpose of achieving something. Now, I'm being honest with you because these are the things that I believe that that, that is important for our growth. This is my journey. And uh, I recognised, you know what? It's, it's about just being. And we can say that. It flips off the tongue about just being. And I know you've said it about being present. But to really be present and to just be can actually be the hardest thing in the world and and yet I've come home and I've made up my mind right okay we're gonna have relationships for fun and for just to be as opposed to always wanting to fix a problem (laughs) because see I think that that's important to fix I want to fix things I want to be a helper but at the same time I just want to be and I want to be there for people So that was very important for me. So my faith is not any longer about a set of beliefs. It's actually about being willing to say, I'll get up and go. And so one uh, other little illustration, we went into this church and um, nobody spoke to us for for ages. I've been to the bathroom and I'm stood at the back of the church and nothing was particularly happening. And then just as the meeting was about to start, some people came across and uh, and started talking to us. And, and, and this friend that we, we particularly do know, which we didn't know was still there because they have two services and they'd been at the early service and they sort of just wandered down the side and spotted us, uh, came across and said, just tell your story in five minutes to these people. Gee, thanks. Well, how can you do that? The, you know, the guy starting to plonk his guitar at the beginning. And so I thought, oh heck, okay, what okay. And so literally, you know how you think, how can I condense it down into the most, you know, manageable thing? And it was interesting that when I'd finished, um, they started to sing, we were about to go to our seats, I said to Anth, I says, I think we can go now. (laughs) I noticed I get no response to that. I think I can go now. That is a miracle for me to say, I think we can go now. Because usually speaking, it's about staying, about being and doing what you're supposed to do. And I said to him, I said, we, we can go now. Well, what do you mean? I says, well, I think we've done what we were here to do. In five minutes, we connected with these people. They said, oh, they were doing this. Oh, I'm all goosey. Because what we were saying to them was really quite stirring in their spirit. So I said to him, I think we can go now. Well, I better quickly tell you, we didn't go. We stayed because we were honouring and I think it's right that we were honouring. But I only told that story to say that instead of going on what's the word? There's a word and I've forgotten it. Um, Standing on ceremony it was about feeling that that Points of the you know the Ethiopian eunuch and the, the and the chariot meeting, we met the people we were meant to talk to. And then it wouldn't have mattered if we'd have moved on. Now it was nice to stay, but it's learning to say, do you know what? That was it. That was what was meant to be. In this day, that was the point, and we did what we were meant to do, and now we can go. So, like I say, we didn't, we stayed. But I, I'm learning to actually, it's it's quality, not quantity, and I think that's been a, a big lesson to me. So, there's, I don't want to take any more time. It's quite past, but we've we've. Anthe hasn't told you the half of the things that are happening. The telephone will ring, and you might have a four-hour conversation with somebody. And yeah, it's amazing. And that happened, didn't it? A, a person who needed help, and it's you're there and you're able, and um, it's been quite fantastic. Um, but it is amazing to be back here there's no place like home and there's no place like you and uh, I do honor what we have here and you guys you're amazing all right wonderful
0: great so let me let me just finish by saying this first of all, thank you for your support because um, you know we we are there because of you and as part of you. Thank you for that. Uh, the other thing is we are going to teach for the next couple of weeks because in this part of our journey, um, and particularly coming from conversations of Chris and I, we felt it was important, and conversations in leaders, was important to ask the question, where does Jesus fit in all of this? Now that we've changed so many things and looked at so many issues and and changed perspective, where does Jesus fit? I think it's important for all of you because um, Jesus as an individual has impacted the world that we know more than any other person in history. Um, so so it, it's a big issue in that sense, so much so that people have put a religion around him which can be part of the problem. Um, so we'd like to talk, I'd like to talk from my perspective next week about where Jesus fits and then, then Chris to talk the following week and you might find the two are, are different and, and I'm okay with that. Um, you know, it's for you then within within the given context of the honest information of our journey to be able to say, yeah, I get that, I get that. So, so love you to be here. I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be interesting. So, Father, help us to walk in that goodness that is following us. And uh, if goodness is following us, you, you don't know that means sometimes you got to slow down. That the big problem is, we don't see the goodness because we we're too busy running. <laughs> And you've got to slow down because the goodness is following you. It's not something you reach. It's something that's following you. So in Jesus' name, I say let's slow down a little bit and let the goodness catch us up. Amen? All right, we're done. Thank you. Appreciate it.